0: First and Pod, hosted by Danny Parkin and Andrew Filippone. Niners and Chargers before the year, this felt like a potential Super Bowl preview. Now it's merely just an upper echelon game in in a so-so week on the card. Uh, Niners offense healthy. How good do we think it's going to be?
2: Man, uh... Based on what they gave up to get McCaffrey, and what we think of Shanahan, and some of the other players that are already there, um, you know, you've got Chiefs, you've got Bills, you've got Eagles, you've got Dolphins, you've got Bengals, I guess to a lesser extent.
0: Well, I mean Dallas too. Dallas, Dallas I believe.
2: Nah, but I would say top. I would say top five offense, and anything less than that ain't gonna cut it. Got to be top five, which would mean starting with this game on, 28 points or more. That's what we should be looking at with them. Right? I mean, is that setting the bar too high? No. I mean, I think
0: that it, it a lot of it for them is going to be game script. Like if for some reason they fall behind, you know, like they they, they should be able to run the ball on everybody. They, they don't want to have to rely on their quarterback to throw them back in the game. So much of it's like Kyle Shanahan's system. And, you know, with Debo and Kittle and McCaffrey, it should just be like the most diverse running offense that we've ever seen. Um, And I would expect them to have a pretty high level of success in this spot. Like the the Chargers just aren't what they were supposed to be. I'll bet on them again next year, like we said. But uh, I just... It, it bums me out because I do really believe in their roster, but looking at their schedule too, I mean, especially the next few weeks, this is the Niners, Chargers, Cardinals, Saints, Dolphins, next four. You know, Dolphins' off, uh, defense is okay statistically, but doesn't feel like it should be that good. They've been in plenty of shootouts. That you know, Then they get Tampa, and then it softens up again. Seattle, Washington, Vegas, Arizona – so really only one game in the back half of the schedule where I would look at it and say they play a pretty good defense. So yeah, I'm with you. I think it should flirt with being a top five offense unless something weird happens in the first quarter or the first half and they feel like they've got to pass the ball 35 times in a game.
2: And if it doesn't work out, Garoppolo is just going to get destroyed. Yeah, I think he's the guy that is going to, you yeah. know, the, the coach isn't going to own it. The play caller is not going to own it. The offensive coordinator, it's going to be him. So I think he's in a weird situation where, and we've talked about this, where if they're great, he's going to get very little credit. If they're bad, he's going to get almost all the blame.
0: Yeah. I mean, I I still think that he can do enough with just straight up wins to be a starting quarterback for a team heading into next year. But it's probably off the table, barring a huge playoff run, that he'll be a starting quarterback with security. Yeah, like he could be a starting quarterback for a team that drafts a first round quarterback and just has to go through this whole song and dance again. And I mean, the Chargers are still technically alive, but for a playoff spot. But they're they, they're going to need an upset like this to like really convince anybody that that they can be dangerous again.
2: Charger uh, or Jaguars and Chiefs in Kansas City. Who do you think needs the one seed more? Kansas City or Buffalo? Who needs it more? Who needs the bye? Who needs the home playoff games more, in your opinion? I think it's got to be Buffalo. Just
0: because 13 seconds. I know they've proven that they can win at Arrowhead, but not in the postseason. The Chiefs because of their pedigree, because of their AFC championship game and Super Bowl appearances and the ring on their finger and coach and quarterback having done it they know they can win anywhere. Mm-hmm. So while the Bills would go into Arrowhead for an AFC title game and say we've won here on Sunday night football, right? We've we've won here on national TV. We've blown them out. Uh in the postseason, you would think human nature would have an inkling of doubt in the back of the minds of guys on the bills more so than more so than the chiefs. And then you add in the Josh Allen injury as a variable there. I think I think the answer is Buffalo, but obviously both teams desperately would want it and would yeah. benefit from it. Yeah,
2: the only thing I'll say back to that, Danny, is and the reason why I do think there's a case to say Kansas City is that they've been fortunate that every year here with Mahomes, it ended up going through Kansas City, whether they were the top seed or they were a you know a, a second seed, and the number one seed got knocked off. And it created, you know, that road going to, it detoured through Kansas City. I mean, you know, they, have they proven to be a great team? Yeah, obviously they're in the AFC championship game every year, but they haven't been a road warrior team in the playoffs. So in that regard, I think you can say Buffalo's one in Kansas City has Kansas City. They went to San Francisco and won this year, but they haven't proven that they're going to win that they can win playoff games on the road yet because they're usually too good right
0: no i mean that's it it's fair and so i just like it's like i believe that they could do it and so it's it's harder to to quantify and i mean the teams are so damn close you know but but both teams would obviously with how the new playoff format works it's such an advantage to whoever gets it that, that both teams would benefit tremendously for it uh and it's you know, whoever ends up being the third team in the AFC, you know, you just if if it plays to the bracket, you get the the easier path, right? Like if it ends up being Miami that looks to be a juggernaut offense or whatever going forward, the other team has to knock them out, yeah, uh, bef- before you get there. Just for this game, it's only a seven point spread. Doesn't that feel a little light? Like yes. Does, does does it feel like Jacksonville is ready to to go to Arrowhead and play this game in single digits? I It does not to me.
2: Yeah, I think it's an overreaction, probably more to what Kansas City failed to do for most of that Tennessee game. I think they got docked more for what they weren't able to do consistently on offense in that game.
0: And in fairness, it, it is up to nine and a half. It's up to nine and a half. Okay. It was a bad opener, but oh. but yeah. I still, I still, I still like it. Like I, I said, I said uh, single digits, but just just for
2: the point of accuracy there. Uh, Lions and Bears. What does your guy Justin Fields have to do in this game to keep the momentum going? To keep Danny Parkins from saying, you know what? He keeps doing it. This is not like a um, momentary setback or blip on the radar type situation. Blip on the radar type situation.
0: I'm not terribly worried about that. You know, the the question for him here, you know, and what some of the detractors would say is that this isn't sustainable. It's nice to have a shot at Lamar Jackson's single season rushing record. It's really cool to break Mike Vick's single game rushing record. You put up a box score with 178 rushing yards and three passing touchdowns. That's never been done in the history of the NFL. And seems like when you say it out loud, like it's only the type of thing that could happen in a college football video game. But throughout this entire stretch of good play, second half of the Vikings game, Cowboys game, Patriots game, Dolphins game for the last five, your high for passing yards is 208. Mm-hmm. So you know, you've never had a 300 yard passing game in your career, right? Like that, that's the knock on fields at this point. If there is one, my thing to that is the passing is getting better. The efficiency in the passing game has been there multiple games, completing over 70% of his passes, the three touchdown passing game this past week, some very nice passing moments. They don't have good players in the passing game. You know, that. None of their offensive linemen are better pass blockers than run blockers. There's no other first-round pick on their offense unless you count Riley Reef, who was a first-round pick, but it was, you know, a decade ago and he's only been in there for the last two games and he's not nowhere near the version of himself like no one that fields is going to grow with. So, even if he had a few interceptions and a quote-unquote egg was laid in this Lions game, he's just so clearly shown enough of a ceiling that at a minimum he's going to get next year where they're going to have a hundred million in cap space and a top 10 pick that I don't really think anything could happen that is going to derail optimism around hmm. Justin Fields, at least locally, okay. maybe nationally, where he's become like the darling of national yeah. media,
2: but but, lo- but locally people are all in man. So if they lose to the lions at home, it's like, eh, Oh, wow. I think people will be interested in hearing that or surprised to hear that, dude. Wins? Why? Why would wins
0: and losses matter for this team? Like, you know, it. I'm not saying that. I my thing has been, I advocate rooting for losses when you're tanking for a quarterback. Yeah, but it. But to you know, go get Jalen Carter, right? The the nose tackle from Georgia who would help this team tremendously. Like, you know it's real tough to make that case publicly when a new coach is trying to instill a culture and the Razor's edge did all of these NFL games come out on. So I'm not like in the suck for luck, you know, type, sure. type of mindset here, but I bet you the GM is, I bet you Ryan Poles is <laughs> right. Like, yeah. what, but I think a funny subplot of this from, from just your standpoint is the Bears' schedule is pretty weak and the Packers are pretty bad. What if the Steelers chose the wrong NFC name oh, to I, trade with for Claypool and the Bears finish with a better record than the I
2: Packers? I've been I've been thinking about that and I we've been talking about that. That, you know, is it possible that Green Bay, if they were to lose on Sunday, are they that far away from going to Jordan Love? I don't think so. I think at some point if they if they get to a ninth loss. I think they owe it to themselves at that point to play lo- to play love. Yeah, whether that's to you know eventually say okay, he's our guy or trade him, but if they don't then it's a complete waste of time in an otherwise uh you know disastrous season. So, def- dude, I don't think it's uh, right now I would probably still pick Green Bay to finish ahead of Chicago, but it's not a slam dunk. Like that—that that probably was not. It should not have been an easy discussion among the Steelers brass to take the Bears pick.
0: Yeah, I—I I think it was the right choice. The—the the Bears defense, it—it's
2: got to be the worst front seven in football.
0: <laughs> It—I'm not. It—it it
2: has to be. And like just a year ago, it was one of the best. Yeah, you know
0: you—you you, right in the off season, Eddie Goldman retires, Akeem Hicks leaves, Khalil Mack leaves, and then at the deadline you trade Robert Quinn and Roquan Smith. I mean, it's it's, it's definitely your four best players. Eddie Goldman wasn't very consistent last year, but it's arguably your top five players in your front seven uh, from from just a year ago are are gone. I it's been I mean it's been a cash cow, but opposing running back anytime touchdown and rushing yardage over prop against the bears the the rushing yardage prop i think is only not hit twice out of 9 games i think it's 7 and 2 Ooh. and anytime touchdown for the starting running back has been has been a winner also so it's that's a that's an auto fire and fields rushing yards prop opened in the 50s again which is insane that's it that's a that's an auto fire on the over also it should be 70 Yep. Or 75. He's unbelievable.
2: Yeah, dare people to bet the under there. Yeah. Um, do you think the Giants are a lock to make the playoffs because of their schedule? They've got the Texans on Sunday at home. So, you know, we've talked about
0: this. They're, they're kind of like Seattle, who I've believed in. The market hasn't respected their win loss record. Yeah. You're right. You know? Um, and this one I agree with the market on. So, like, are they a lock to make the playoffs? No. Because would it shock you if Damian Pierce ran for 150 yards and they lost this game? I don't, I don't think you could be in a spot where you'd be you'd say that the, the Giants are a shocking loser. And then it's I think they're gonna. State-
2: I agree with you. I think they could easily. After watching the Texans against the Eagles, I think you're exactly right. I think Houston's a real live dog in this game. So, like the the Giants are six and two, right? Yep.
0: Two of the next three. Well, the the next two are Houston and Detroit at home. They should get to eight right there. They should be eight and two. Right. If, If if they're good, they get to eight and two. And then it's shocking if they miss the playoffs
2: because then they'll have the they'll have the Cowboys on the road on Thanksgiving. Then after that they'll have the commanders at home. That should be your ninth win. Eagles at home, probably a loss. Washington on the road, probably a loss. Um, Vikings Minnesota on the on road, the road probably at home, loss. Philly on the road. But yeah, so like, I mean, it,
0: it's not it's not that easy of a schedule because it's division games, and the you know, and, and Minnesota uh, on the road is in there, and we'll see what Indy looks like at the end. Probably not good. We'll get to them in a second. But it
2: feels like probably ten wins, worst case scenario, eight is what, or is worst case scenario nine? I mean, is what I see with them.
0: Yeah, but I just I I like I said, man, I think that. Like, let's ask this question again in two weeks. Okay, like so, so, so something tells something tells me they're not winning both of these home games. Right? Te- tech, like if if I set the over under of wins here at the next two games, Texans and Lions at one and a half, I will. Take I think I'd under. bet the under. Yeah, me too. You know, so I. So no, they, they 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 are not a lock to make the playoffs. They they deserve to be favored to make the playoffs, but but not but not a lock. All right, your game. Right, we're on to uh, oh no, one more before Saints and Steelers. I apologize. Uh, Colts and Raiders. Jeff Saturday, fresh off, get up and the NFL lot li- <laughs> and the NFL li- I love Dan Orlovsky saying, "Yeah, I would, I would seriously consider going to join the step. It would be so incredible if Dan Orlovsky was the quarterback coach and Mina Kimes was like the analytics, uh, you know, game game management coordinator." That would be amazing. And Greeny was the broadcaster. Um, it would be. And does Stephen
2: be, A get in the mix too? Does Stephen A get a little shine there? Is he doing something?
0: I don't think so. I think Marcus Spears is the defensive line coach, and you just you just bring over the the NFL analysts uh, from from ESPN. How, how how do you feel
2: about the hire? You know, I really did not think of it like in the more macro sense about the NFL's problems like the 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 minority hiring stuff until other people pointed it out to me and I do respect where they're coming from you know like I I can see if I'm you know maybe like even like Reggie Wayne on their staff or something yeah that would that you know that would bother me that Jeff just goes from Monday morning quarterbacking people to being a head coach um a couple things, though. Number one, why are we making it sound like it's so hard and complicated for somebody to do this in football when it literally happens all the time in the other three sports? Players, players go from broadcaster to manager in baseball with no experience. Guys in the NBA do it. Guys in hockey do it. I mean, it happens in all three major sports. It might not be the most conventional way of doing it, but it's way more common. And I get it, it hasn't happened since the 1960s in football. But is football that much more complicated than the other sports? Yes. Just, you think yes? Because I hear people say all the time, football's really not that complicated of a game. Football's a simple game.
0: I, I, th- I think I think I think I think that coaching in the other sports matters. So much less than football. Personally. Like, because man, in basketball, I'm not you're not rolling the ball out, but you play three or four NBA games in a week, m- most of the time, three. You're not doing a ton of practicing in season. You know, if you've got the Hornets, the Bulls, and the Knicks in a in a week on a road trip for a west coast team you're not practicing before any of those games maybe you have a walkthrough or two maybe you get to look at their you know these are their end of game sets and most of the coaching is done in game and like calling stuff out from the bench like whereas in the nfl you're playing a four three you're playing a three floor you're playing a running quarterback you're playing a pocket passer it's, there's so much like week to week game specific game planning that, that happens in football that doesn't happen as much in the other sports. I mean, baseball, it's like, you've got the, the heat chart of the pitcher you walk through with your catcher in, in the morning to what, for, for that day's starting pitcher. And then you just kind of go. So I, I do think coaching matters more in football than the other sports. Not surprisingly, because he often does make the smartest points on the cross-section of sociological issues within sports, and certainly race issues within sports. I thought Bomani Jones made an awesome point to the Rooney Rule stuff, which he was like, we don't need to go to the Rooney Rule here. It's a bad job. Like, there's there's enough prime examples of horrible hiring practices of minority coaches and token interviews and disrespectful hiring practices for good jobs. Like the one I always point to is Mike McCarthy in Dallas. They interviewed Marvin Lewis clearly just to check a box. They had decided that they were going to hire him Mike McCarthy said he watched every game of the Cowboys to prep for his interview. Oh,
2: it was so full of shit. Yeah. (laughs) They hire
0: him and he's like, Oh, I was just kidding at at, at the press conference. But you know what I mean? Like if Jeff Saturday gets the job full time, then I think it's absolutely one of the more egregious examples of that. But I, I think we've got way more egregious examples of nepotism and token interviews and guys not getting second chances that white counterparts would get and all that stuff to me this is Jim Irsay being crazy and calling a friend to get him out of a tough spot for a season and we'll see what happens so I, I do think coaching in the NFL is way tougher than any of the other sports and coaching matters more I think it's crazy and unconventional, and I get why emotionally people would be upset about it, yep. uh, but I don't think that this is the type of job that you would necessarily say minority candidate X gets their first shot to be an NFL head coach. Here's a nine-game audition with Sam Ellinger when we're tanking. You go two and seven or one and eight, and then you never get a shot to be a head coach again. Yep. This is not a good proving ground spot. For an up and coming coach, this is a spot to like hire your friend off the set of ESPN because you've tried to get him on the staff multiple times before and he said no. Yep. So, uh, it, but it's bizarre, man. It's, it's got to be one of the weirdest head coaching hires
2: we've ever seen. And I'm rooting for him to win just to make Josh McDaniels look even worse.
0: That makes sense. That makes sense. We had, uh, Boomer Esiason comes on our show Wednesdays at three and he is the consummate Frank Reich, man. Well, yeah. Frank Reich best friend roommate in college, Maryland. Yeah. But so Boomer calls us and every week the second, the second hand hits three o'clock Norman Esiason, right? It shows up every single week. Didn't call in this week call him, no answer, call him, no answer, call the assistant, no answer. Oh, shit, Boomer, you know, didn't wake up from his nap, had something to do, forgot, no harm, no foul. Calls back like 40 minutes later, so sorry. Hey, boom, can we do you at the top of 4 o'clock? Of course, no problem. Put him on at 4. Danny, Matt, I'm so sorry. I was on the phone with Frank Reich. 90 minute call. And he just like, he's like, you know, he wouldn't spill all the gut beans, but he was just like, he's like, I was happy for my friend to get out of there. Uh, He won't say a bad word about Indy. I won't either. It was just time for him to go. They said, don't underestimate Jeff Saturday. Like, Those guys will be fine. Just didn't have a quarterback. But just, Sue said he he might do the Doug Peterson thing, take a year off, wait for the right spot. He's like eight jobs come open every year. He'll be a head coach again. But it was just like apparently Frank Reich being classy as hell for being replaced by a television analyst. But I have to think Boomer was holding a little something back.